What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rose, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. And here's Fox creeping forward. He pulls up, 18-footer. Aaron Fox puts the Kings on top. Makes one stakes twice. Gives the belly. 35-foot three for the win. Nemanja, Bielitsa. We deserve this win, man. When we're done, we can go chop it up, eat, golf, whatever you want to do. For 40, 48 minutes, I ain't about them games. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here, as we always do. What's going on, Rich? How you doing, man? Doing all right. I was really hoping that uh, the Celtics would lose tonight and I could come on here and make fun of you for that. But, right. uh, calm down. But, no, I mean, look, I mean, I guess they got a chance. I guess they got a chance. Yeah, you're but, just, uh, uh, you know, I'm not too familiar with playoff basketball. Oh, we got we to gotta record later. My, my Celtics are on. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> my Celtics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's, uh, let's get right to the introductions here. Uh, we've got a fantastic guest on today. I've never... Is, I, this can't be true. I think it is true. I've never podcasted with this man before. Um, Greg Wissinger, the or how? Tell me if I'm pronouncing that wrong. By the way, my boss for a long time, but never actually had to say your name out loud. Greg Wissinger, a managing editor of the Kings Herald. How's it going, guys? Doing good, man. Appreciate you coming on, taking the time. You know, I've had you on here before. I thought it was with Rich. Uh, no, Richard avoided me. Oh, yeah, you know he, he avoided like, a lot of the of the guys. He was like, yeah. "I'm too cool. I can't be on the pod with Greg." The like, huge, yeah, you and Tim. That sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but you know, we're gonna just kind of get into just a little bit of the news and kind of rumblings we've been hearing recently since Vlade being let go, potential. Uh, GM candidates and things like that and Greg kind of just to start you know listeners already got our impression of it a little bit for but from someone that was around the team for a longer period of time you experienced a lot of the player and everything like that I mean like what is it uh reaction wise for you hearing Vlade move on and you know hopefully a new era in a way here for for Kings basketball it really for me it, it's kind of like a bittersweet relief uh, because I mean, I, I did, I, I watched Vladi as a, a player for the Kings and absolutely loved him. I mean, he's one of my favorite players 
uh, on the great Kings teams, one of the, the most lovable guys, just kind of, you know, kind of silly and self-deprecating and, and just always having fun. Like, I don't know if you guys even uh, were following me back in the day, but for a long time, he was my Twitter avatar. Like, it was just a picture of Lottie uh, in the same way that Aki's uses Peja. And I switched it when he became uh, affiliated with the team because it felt weird, like, having my avatar be the guy I was criticizing all the time. <laughs> but it was one of those things where when he became GM, I, I was very skeptical and, and didn't think it was a great idea. But I was hopeful, like I wanted it to work just because he was such a beloved figure. And, you know, over the years, it it's kind of killed me to have to be so critical of a guy that I admire so much as just a, a, a genuinely lovable human being who just was not in a job he should have been in. Take us back to that time for a minute. What was the announcement like? Uh, because... He, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but there was, there's no experience there that would have prepared you for, okay, Vlade is our, is the GM of the the Sacramento Kings. Did that, I mean, how, how shocking was that when he got the job? Well, it wasn't all that shocking because it actually came about much in the way that Joe Dumars entered into his current position as interim where Vlade came on initially in some nebulous advisor role. And it was kind of like he was going to be in charge of kind of the big picture, kind of the team identity, and it was kind of billed as like he was the glue guy that brought everything together on the court, and he's going to kind of do the same thing now for the front office. And like the only experience that we really could look at and say like, well, maybe he learned something here was – uh, he had been involved with, like, Real Madrid's basketball program for a, a, a year or two. It wasn't anything extensive. And then he had been, uh, like, headed up uh, the Olympic Committee for uh, his home country uh, of Serbia. And so those were his, quote-unquote, experiences. And at first it wasn't really a big deal because he was just kind of an advisor and – uh, Peter Alessandro was still GM and, and George Carl was coach. And then uh, George Carl detailed it all out uh, a couple of, uh, I guess, weeks or months ago now. It was on his podcast that suddenly, like, Vladi is just wanting to introduce himself. And with no real announcement, it became clear that Vladi was kind of in charge, which is kind of was. Uh, but as far as public facing, from what I remember at the time, he wasn't really official, and then it became clear he was doing more decision-making. And then Pete Alessandro was gone, and Vladi had, like I, – I could be mistaken on this, but I believe that Vladi had an interim uh, GM title for a little bit before he just became permanent GM. So for those of us who followed the team you know, back in 2015 when all that went down – it's just history repeating itself with Vivek Ranadive, you know, kind of gets an advisor who gets his ear and next thing you know, that person's in charge. And so there, there's some cause for concern and some alarm that, you know, hopefully, you know, all the talk about how Joe Dumars is just going to help lead the GM search and figure out something like, you know, I want to be optimistic that that's going to be done in the right way, but 
it, it right now it's a little bit of history repeating itself. Yeah, I wanted to, before we moved on to fully diving into potential new GMs, I wanted to get your thoughts on Peja as well with him having just stepped down from the assistant GM role, somewhat similarly to Vlade where he was in that role without all too much prior experience. And were the feelings somewhat similar there where, you know, it was just hopeful optimism since he was such a legend during his playing time here? Uh, What were kind of your feelings with Page uh, uh, being in the front office there as well, alongside Vlade, and now him stepping down. I mean, I think that everyone kind of knew that Page was more there just because he could be Vlade's sounding board and someone that Vlade would trust. And um, I was listening earlier today to uh, the Hoopball Kings podcast with, with Damon Barling and, and our friend Jill Adge, and, and they made a really good point that Vladi needed someone who was kind of a right hand who he could trust because since Vivek took over, it's been like one succession after another of people being shoved out for the person who was supposed to be like their assistant or their helper. Like even going back to the Michael Malone era, the Kings tried to hire Alvin Gentry as an, his lead assistant, basically so they'd have their next coach when they fired Malone. I had forgotten all about that until I, I heard them mention it, but like it's just a constant pattern that we've seen, and so it made sense that Vladi wanted to have his lead assistant GM be someone that he knew wasn't going to go behind his back and that he could actually trust. It's kind of a weird uh, situation, you know. So this Dumars thing, passing off the inter- interim to him, and it, you know, by all accounts, it seems he's a legitimate candidate for the job long term himself potentially or potentially with um you know kind of a small group of of other staff members other executives it is kind of like that old parable about the the boat when you replace how if you replace every piece of a boat is it still the same boat you know over if you do it slowly over time it's like this weird thing is like i don't know when this front office stops and the next one starts if there's this constant turnover um and like you know there's speculation about luke will come will will be a part of the team be the head coach for another year but then maybe they'll you know now that kakoshkov is gone as the lead assistant maybe they'll bring in a lead assistant who they want to eventually be, make head coach and so there's this weird like stepping up and into things so i mean do you feel like there's going to be at any point a clean break where we can say this was that front office and now we have this front office going forward, or do you think it will be muddled? So I think that we can pretty clearly say it's a a clean break at this point, right? Because, I mean, Joe Dumars was considered an advisor for, what, maybe the past year. He he just kind of came in the picture pretty recently. And from everything we heard – his influence wasn't really a big deal until very recent. So even if he ends up sticking around, I think it's not like he's a holdover from the past three, four, five years of Vladi's front office. Uh, so I do think it's still a clean break and a, a clear shift in direction from what the Kings have been doing. And there's always going to be a certain amount of overlap where, I mean, basically this year was, I think, the first full year Maybe it was last year, I could be mistaken, but 
the first full year where every player on the roster was someone from this front office, you know, that they had selected or drafted, like there was no one left from previous eras. So like it takes a long time to fully be 100% in one person's decisions. There's always going to be overlap. There's always going to be carryover. You know, there's always going to be dealing with the decisions of the past. That, that's just the nature of being a, a general manager in the NBA. But I think how they handle things going forward is going to tell us a lot about is this going to be same old, same old, or, you know, if Joe Dumars inserts himself and everything else just more or less stays the same and there's not a whole lot of change, it's a new era, but it's, you know, meet the old, the new boss, same as the old boss. If Joe Dumars helps them lead a search and they find a good, qualified, interesting, good candidate, like that in itself would be such a departure from what the past five years have been that it's a step in the right direction just by that, even if we end up not being terribly happy with who that individual is. So, I mean, it's, there's a lot that I think we'll learn about Vivek as an owner in the next couple of months because he has a habit of saying he's not going to repeat his mistakes and then doing things that look like the same mistakes over and over. So I'm really curious to see how they actually handle and conduct this GM search or if it's going to be similar to kind of the, the muddled process we've seen in the past. Right. No question. We're all hoping for a proper process here and legitimate search and, you know, just have candidates. Don't just uh, focus in on a guy and, you know, completely stick with that and not do your due diligence. Um, what you mentioned, I mean, obviously most teams are going to have some layover from previous management. Obviously, whoever comes in and adopts the the team and roster and possibly the coaching if they decide to stick with that of Vlade um, is going to have some decisions to make. And what direction do you think that um, – which direction would you prefer them to take? You know, I, I just put out a piece on Kings Herald where I'm in favor of, you know, play the young guys next year, and I think that you go for the 2021 draft. But I think there could be an argument of – you know, if the team was properly coached and utilized their talent, that they could fight for an eighth seed next year. Um, do you have a strong way you feel about the correct direction of this team? So I think that probably the biggest flaw of the Vivek era, like since he's taken over, is that it seems like every decision has been bent on getting back to the playoffs and the eighth seed, because it's been so long since we've been to the playoffs, we treat the eighth seed like that would be mission accomplishment. When in reality, like for most teams, that's like the minimal level of accomplishment they're seeking. I mean, the Kings as currently constructed, Let's say they made the eighth seed next year. Is there any reason to suggest that that roster is then going to move forward into title contention? 
I mean, really, we've got De'Aaron Fox, who seems like on the verge of becoming a star, but still has some issues in his game. But he's young, and you know, there, there's plenty to be excited about there. Marvin Bagley's a huge unknown. I mean, he could easily put a lot of concerns to rest if he had a fully healthy season. I think that some of the criticism, from myself included, has probably swung a little too far just because we haven't gotten to see him play consistently. But aside from that, I mean, Buddy and Bogey are in their prime. Uh, Harrison Barnes is in his late 20s. Uh, You know, Bielitsa and none of these guys are young. I mean, Corey Joseph, uh, I mean, this isn't a team that is on the come up. It's not like if the Grizzlies had made the eight seed this year with John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr., like they've got a young core around their two young stars. Like it's a completely different scenario. So to me, I don't see the point in just chasing the eight seed for the sake of chasing the eight seed. Like every year for the past seven years, it feels like the Kings have tried to bring in vets who would get them over the hump and help them get the eight seed instead of just for once thinking two years ahead instead of one. That's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see a clear plan and direction, even if that meant missing again next year. Like, as painful as that would be to tie the NBA's all-time record for longest playoff drought, that would suck. But if they just are chasing the eight seed, it's going to be even worse if they miss it again and they still haven't done anything to set themselves up for the longer term. From tight muscles, tough workouts, signs of aging, to simply making it through each busy day, everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore. So everyone can benefit from TheraOne's CBD products. A lot of CBD products claim organic, but still contain up to 35% filler, and these fillers are potentially toxic. TheraOne tests their products four times before they get to you. Every product is USDA certified organic, grown in the U.S., and their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. And now, through Labor Day, Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products. But you've got to go to theragun.com slash bluewire. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again. Buy one, get one free at theragun, T-H-E-R-A-G-U-N dot com slash bluewire, but only until Labor Day. Go right now to theragun.com slash bluewire. So realistically, to come, you know, to fully set themselves up for the longer term, it it might mean much more than one more season missed of the playoffs. Like that could easily be, you know, two, three, four, even five. Like it could be five years from now that they be po- poised to like compete. Um, and I don't think it's I don't think it'd be that. You look at the NBA, and, and, I mean, as Kings fans, we've become so accustomed to the idea that every rebuild is going to take five years, and if it doesn't work, you start again. I mean, teams rebuild in the NBA in two years all the time, especially when you've already got a player like Fox. And whatever you get out of bag, I mean, it's not like the Kings lack pieces. You know, they've got a couple young pieces that are worth building around, is particularly Fox. 
a lot of teams spend the first several years of a rebuild trying to find that player. So you've already got a leg up on that front. Well, you've got older players like Bielitsa or Bogey or Buddy who could be valuable pieces to another team to where you you don't have to take it down to you know burn it all down. You don't have to go like full Philly Hinky era teardown to do a, a proper kind of reset and rebuild. You just got to stop fooling yourself about what you are as a franchise because the Kings aren't a team that is on the doorstep of the eighth seed realistically, not the way they've played this season, not with the way the West is going to look next year. They're realistically, I mean, could they get there? Yeah. But is it worth pulling out all the stops? Maybe, maybe not, but I think it makes more sense to have one down year and, and, yeah, you get some decisions right, you could be right back there. So there probably are a few examples of, you know, like a rebuild where you've got you've got your one guy and then you're trying to build around him or maybe, you know, maybe if Bagley works out to be more than uh, we currently think he might be, then maybe you've got like a guy and a half or whatever, like a one, you know, two top three players on a, on a decent team, I guess. Um, but for the most part, it does feel like you've got, you do have to kind of bottom out at least for a year, right? Like if you think of the teams that are successfully rebuilding Memphis got jaw at the second pick, uh, the Pelicans got Zion with the first pick. Um, I'm just thinking of, you know, like obviously the, you know, the whole Philly thing was all about getting multiple high picks and the Kings, you know, it, because they have Fox, I I wonder if they could get like that far down in the in the standings to, you know, really land another star. It's certainly not happening this year. Even if they win the lottery, it's just because of the draft class, it doesn't really feel like it's that kind of year necessarily. Um, but I'm just wondering, like, so what does that mean to you to say that you want to? Uh, you know, to readjust for the long term, doesn't that mean kind of tanking and getting down there? Because, like, you know, yeah, Bogdan and Heald are going to be 28. Uh, Barnes as well. Yeah, Bielitsa, I mean, and, and Corey Joseph are in their 30s. They're not all going to survive that. But even just Barnes and, and Buddy and Bogey, I'm not sure that that's, like, what is the change if it's not getting moving those guys? No, I, and to your point, I, I do think you do have to bottom out a little bit, but look at what the West is going to be next year. It wouldn't be that hard to be the worst team in the West. Now, could the Kings bottom out and be worse than like the bottom four teams in the East? Maybe not, but they could set themselves up pretty easily to be like a bottom five team in the league, I think. And what are those moves to, to set them up? You think? So I think you just got to start by, you know, first thing I would do, I'd pick up uh, Bielitsa's option because it's only $7 million and he's a valuable piece with his skill set that I think that some contenders are going to love that on a one-year deal. So I'm going to pick up his option and, and trade him and, you know, make sure that you get some sort of asset back, you know, whatever that might look like, either a young player or some sort of draft asset. You know, similarly, you know, as much as he's been a fun spark plug, 
probably not looking to keep Kent Bazemore. I, I'd prioritize keeping a guy like Daquan Jeffries who fits the timeline of building around Fox better. Um, I I doubt, doubt there's many suitors for Corey Joseph at his contract, but yeah, if you could try to move him, I would. Um, you know, I think that it makes sense to move one of Buddy or Bogey, and I don't have a strong opinion of which one it'd be better to move. I would probably move whatever got you the better asset, but I think you move one of them because you really don't need two shooting guards who are 27, 28 years old you know, when you're trying to build around Fox. It just doesn't line up. Yeah, it's funny. This is kind of what I uh, broke down and laid out in my article uh, for the Kings Herald that came out today, yesterday, when you guys are hearing this. And, yeah, to kind of go to your point, Rich, of, like, I don't think that the Kings are the worst team in the league. I I think we said it on the last episode, like, they very likely could be the worst team in the West. But, you know, I still think worst team in the West. There's four teams in the East that could be worse than you. But in, you know, what's preached as a pretty strong draft in 2021, like, it's not crazy to think that you could get – the best guy in the draft at five. It's not the most likely or even like the second best guy in a really good draft. Like you look at, uh, you know, Trey Young was picked fifth, like Paul George was picked 10th. And with the new lottery odds, if you have the fifth best odds, I mean, you still are, have a decent shot at ending up top one, top two, top three. Um, Like, you know, you look at the Pelicans last year, they uh, were up there in the, chances of getting one and they ended up with it. Um, So I think, you know, even just being a fifth worst team in the league is it gives you a good shot at a franchise altering or a direction altering uh, player, a talent at that point. Are you kind of in the same train of thought, Rich, that, you know, that's the way that the team should go about next year? I'm I'm not sure. Um, I think that, like, from a, a philosophical standpoint, like a, a hands-off standpoint as a third party that obviously doesn't have, like, my job on the line or isn't making any money or losing any money based on the performance of the team, um, I think that makes sense. Um, and I think that as as the type of, like, writers and analysts we are, like, I think we are just focused on that contender upside. That's all that – that's, like, the entire end game for us. But I, I do think that, like, practically speaking, I don't know. I, I don't know, like, how many people – how many decision makers are going to lose their job if they just don't find a way to, to make the eight seed. And just because you try to make the eight seed doesn't mean you will make it, and that's exactly what we've seen happen with the Kings for so many years. But I will say, like, I did witness this team win 39 games – and the positivity that that brought and the excitement for that season was very real. It was probably reflected financially. Um, I would imagine that, like, if this team did scrape into the eight seed, even with potentially lowering their long-term ceiling by doing so, it I could see a world where that, is a desirable result from an ownership standpoint. I think that, like, even though we think of, you know, you need, it's kind of all or nothing, there is, there is like, a lot of 
I think like in general, you know, like Kings, not Kings, but NBA Twitter, NBA analysts, I think that we put too much emphasis on the very top or the bottom where teams in the East that are like making the seventh or eighth seed every year are probably like pretty, pretty feeling pretty good about where they're at. So here's one thing I think is different about the way I would think about it versus what you just mentioned. I I think that I would go more for the bottoming out in the West just because I don't think it'd be that hard to do that in the West next year. But ultimately, my goal would be hire someone I think is a competent GM and let them assess and make that call. And if and if there's a good GM in place, they look at the pieces and they think it, it's worth continuing to try to chase playoffs and, and beyond, I'm fine with that. Where it concerns me is kind of what you mentioned about from an ownership standpoint. Absolutely, ownership wants that eight seed. But if ownership is still dictating how you're building that team because they're chasing the revenue of being the eight seed, then that's the problem we've had the past seven years and even going back to the Maloose of the past 14 years. So if that's the driving factor, it none of it matters anyway. Yeah, and my counterpoint to it a little bit would be like, I mean, sure, like obviously the team has missed the playoffs a ridiculous amount of years in a row, but how long does it take for the fan base to get over just being at the eight seed every single year if that was the case? Um, you know, maybe maybe I'm wrong about that, but I would think that you could grow tired of that when you don't see a way of improving from there. So oh, I, live in, I live in Colorado, and I can tell you from uh, being a casual observer of the Nuggets that that was very much the case at the end of the George Carl era in Denver the Nuggets had made the playoffs for like 10 years, which prior to them drafting Carmelo in 2003, like that was unheard of. The Nuggets almost never made the playoffs. They had one or two appearances, a couple decent runs, like the Matumbo year, and and that was more or less it. Like the Nuggets were a bad franchise, like a joke of a franchise. I think at one point they tied the record for the least wins in a season. The Nuggets were terrible, and then suddenly they landed Carmelo, and they were in the playoffs for like 10 straight years with a revolving cast of supporting people. And people got bored of it because it wasn't going to be a title contender. Like they had one year, they challenged the Lakers in the Western conference finals and that was it. And now Denver's never been the basketball town that Sacramento has been. So I don't think it'd be quite a big as an issue in Sacramento as it was in Denver, but fans absolutely grow tired of being the seventh or eighth seed every year. Definitely. I, I definitely, that makes sense to me. Um, I would say that I wouldn't care about that if I was like, I, I'm not worried about them being tired of, I'm not worried about the fan base being tired of being the eighth seed right now. I'm worried about them being tired of being the 10th seed. Every year, Fair enough. you know it's what I mean. Improvement. Yeah. They're pretty tired of it, I'd say. Um, and like the Nuggets are like so. That's a that's another example of a team that did rebuild to a degree. I mean, yeah, they they re, you know they but they took them five years to go from that fifty seven win team. You know, they went through a couple of coaches and then they got Malone and and three years under Malone. So it took them. You know, they were out of the playoffs for five years. 
Um, and I also wonder just because of the limitations that come with a, a small market, like I wonder if some of those, some of the teams that are able to rebuild faster, they can get a few guys and then they can go to the, the free agent market. Um, where I wonder if that sort of accelerated rebuild might be a little bit harder for the Kings. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm just thinking of like, you know, I don't know, Dallas is, is an example. You get like Luca, and then it's like, all right, well, we can attract someone here, right? And Dallas isn't even like a big market in terms of generally in terms of draw. But I, I just – I do – I don't know. I, I do have concerns about how quickly they could turn it around. And, and like, ultimately I'm with both of you. Like I would like to see them look a lot more forward. I would, I think that's the way to go. I think that it's a fool's errand to try to make the eighth seed because I just think the West is too strong, but I, I guess I'm just making the devil's advocate argument for trying. Although I will say that when you change GMs, that's the opportunity to go long-term because you can say, all right, look, your job is not on the line right now. You can like that five years off for the nuggets. Like you can say to Jam, look like maybe won't, we won't give you five years, but we'll give you three. Um, you know, we're, we're going to give you that, that chance to rebuild this team, how you want it to, how you want it to look. And I also think that, I mean, basketball fans in Sacramento understand the game. They understand how it works. They understand what does and doesn't work as far as trying to break that drought because we've seen so much of it. And so if you get a new GM and they say like, hey, this is a process and I've got a little bit of work to do here and it may take me a year or two, but in the meantime, you're going to have a fun, young, interesting team. I mean, Kings fans love a scrappy young team. Like the most fun we've had in the past decade and a half is when we have teams that are young and exciting and full of promise. We haven't had success. So we're not comparing to that anymore. You know, that's ancient history for us. I mean, all we're looking for is a team that seems to play hard and try hard and is exciting. Like that enough, I think will put people in the seats and get people excited about something. Even if it's a down year, I mean, I've loved some terrible teams because they were scrappy and fun and had interesting players. I, I don't think that that's a hard sell in Sacramento like it would be in other places. Right, and I think that does come from from management and in coaching and the in the leadership of the team. And yeah, I mean we've touched on the identity a lot recently or the lack of an identity. And it, to go back to the Nuggets thing a little bit, like if you you know they just kind of struck gold, you know, 2014, 41st pick, you end up with a franchise player in Jokic, like most of these teams struck gold. A lot of times it was towards the top of the draft, but you know, you could get it a little later. And then I really like how Denver just like very clearly is going after upside in the draft, like Michael Porter Jr. At the end of the lottery, Bull Bull late in the second round, like you just go for these upside guys, the other teams are passing over for whatever reason, but they have a clear strategy that they stick with and an identity that comes from the top. And Sacramento's been lacking that, but this is a good opportunity to bring in a guy that can do that, that can implement that in some sort of way. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm, ex I'm excited for that possibility here. And do we want to kind of throw out 
a couple possible names. What do you think, Ridge? Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Yeah, we can absolutely do that. I mean, and that's what it comes down to. I mean, you said they struck gold, and I don't know if that's, uh, you know, I don't know if that's literally just getting lucky or if that's having a a good GM. Um, I know uh, Karnasovas was the GM, I think, when Jokic was drafted, and um, he did a nice job there. I believe uh, Ujiri was the the Nuggets guy during their successful their more successful days before that. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, like striking gold means hitting a good GM. I think so. Yeah, let's let's go ahead and throw some names out there. I mean, is there anyone leading your list of candidates? Oh, let me just real quick here too, super duper plug the work that D- Jill Edge has been doing um, on her new uh, wine and hoops podcast I think it is um brand new uh podcast from her she's been breaking she broke down just was only one episode but it's like the world's most comprehensive list of GMs it's like really incredible that she's been ahead of the entire media cycle on this um as just a diehard fan um obviously one that's been connected for a very long time uh closely just with uh, everybody that knows and loves the team but just a fan at the end of the day who's I think been doing the best job on this so far. And she's also joining, like you mentioned early in the podcast, uh, Damian Barling and the hoop ball podcast, but just check those guys out. And if you want a full list, check out Jill's podcast. But other than that, anyone from that list jump out to you, Greg? I mean, there, there's definitely a couple of different names and I honestly have not paid a lot of attention mostly because the couple of folks that I'd had my eye on over the years have been scooped up in the meantime. Uh, guys like Troy Weaver from Oklahoma City ended up getting the job in Detroit. He was one that I'd had my eye on for a while and, and always kind of hoped uh, the Kings could look at. But So I'm a little out of the loop, and, and I just am at this point catching up. But the big thing that I think, if it was me making the call on who to hire, I'm looking for someone coming from a successful franchise. You know, so I don't want someone who has spent the last five, ten years with a, a a lowly franchise that's on par with the Kings. And I, I don't want someone um, who doesn't have a strong track record of player evaluation, specifically with draft. You know, if I am choosing a skill set that I'm looking for, I want someone who really – is good at nailing the draft and and player scouting because I think that that is the key to success in a market like Sacramento. You have to draft well because if you draft well, you're going to have good young players and then that'll attract other supporting players in free agency. But I, I think the draft 
for any small market is absolutely where you have to start. So you know, someone's ability to get free agents, I'm, I'm a lot less concerned with because even the, the person with the ultimate Rolodex it isn't going to lure a superstar to Sacramento unless they are drafting well before that. I agree. Yeah, it knocks off uh, Scott Perry for me. Uh, coming from New York uh, back to Sacramento, I'm not the biggest fan of that move and, and agree with you. And to kind of steal something from what Rich mentioned in a uh, – in a message to me earlier was, you know, a new mind, a new age minded coach, someone that is very with the modern day, um, you know, like, for example, you see Vlade drafting a lot of big men and that the value of those players obviously has gone down. Um, so I kind of saw that one for me there a little bit, Rich, but I definitely agree with you on that one. And yeah, I mean, someone from a well-respected organization, obviously, um, guys that, Again, I mean, Jill did most of this work. I'm kind of echoing a little bit of uh, off of her here. Definitely check that out. Um, but there's Adam Simon from Miami, Bobby Webster, and uh, Dan Tolzman from Toronto. There is, you know, uh, I'll, I'll throw Mike Zarin out there from the Celtics. There's Trent Redden, assistant GM for the Clippers. It's a Sacramento native. Just to kind of throw a couple names out there. But, yeah, I mean, somebody that comes from a well-put-together organization. And, you know, I think that it's reasonable for these guys to demand the way that you're going to get a good GM is if they are able to come in here with confidence that they are going to have free reign to make their decisions, that ownership isn't going to get in the way of that, and they're going to be able to trust them there. And I think that's really going to be required in order to get one of these good candidates potentially one of those names listed or, you know, there's a lot of good guys out there that aren't going to be common names either. Yeah. I think that the concept of you both mentioning going for a guy that's strong with, with talent evaluation in the draft. Um, I, you know, like a team, someone from the the Clippers, even if they're, they're talent oriented, it's, it's just such a different world. Like, they just pulled Kawhi and Paul George into the fold. You know, it's just going to be a, a very different world working for the Kings. Um, so, yeah, people like um, – you mentioned them already, but Bobby Webster and Dan Tolzman, both of Toronto, that feels like an amazing um, group of guys just when you think about how many um, – how much they've dominated the G League and how much they've dominated the the undrafted free agent market, um, developing like multiple G League MVPs, that sort of thing. Chris Boucher and Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet and these guys that just really come out of nowhere. Um, it might take something like that for the Kings to really turn the corner. Uh, although I will say, like you mentioned, uh, Trent Redden is a Sacramento native. That little narrative does get me spinning a little bit. I think that would be cool. I think that you might have that advantage if you can pitch that to him. But, uh, yeah, Trent Redden is um, with the Clippers. And then, you know, um, the Heat or the other team that I think are incredible with uh, development, the Heat and the Spurs. So if you could poach someone from there. And I will say that listening to Jill's podcast, she was very positive towards Scott Perry. Um, which who I, I have not had a high opinion of personally, 
and I think it's that Knicks stink, but it's hard not to take Jill's word for it because she's so good at this stuff. Um, you know, I, I would prefer not to go with a retread, but I don't know. There's that argument that when he was here, the Kings made their best draft pick in the past decade and Darren Fox. So I guess if you have to go with a retread, that I, I wouldn't be too angry with Perry. But, yeah, I mean, I want to snipe one of these Toronto guys for sure. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I, I think we're kind of all in the same boat here. Um, one thing I, I, I want to echo that uh, Greg briefly mentioned is and, and news that came out a little bit here, and it, it was just kind of a little bit from James Ham in a recent piece. It's just a prediction of his, but saying that, uh, quote, just a guess, but the Kings will likely use the $7.2 million uh, be a Lisa contract elsewhere this offseason, especially with Divac out the picture. I, I just definitely want to throw out there, like, I, I think that you 100% bring Bielitsa back. Like Greg said, there's no doubt trade value there, and it would just be a, a, a big mistake to me. Like, you're just letting an asset walk, and that's part of this is just proper asset management. I think that would be a clear mistake out the gate. Um, Greg, you kind of gave your thoughts on it a little bit there. Are you in the same line of thought with that, Rich? I think that we lost a little bit of his value from the trade deadline because that was that was when we were talking about on this podcast, you and I, Brennan, talking about could we get a late first for him um, or an early second. And that's, you know, you're selling two playoff appearances essentially on that contract with the optionality of cutting him if you needed to save that money or, you know, turning him into someone else if another team wanted to save that money. This contract, the optionality of it was – probably very attractive to a lot of teams. Um, and now obviously any team trading for him doesn't want the optionality. They'd be trading for him straight up as if it were a guaranteed contract, because why would you trade for the guy if you were just going to cut him? So I think he's lost some of that value. I also think, unfortunately, he was exposed a little bit more defensively than he needed to be due to some decisions and lineups and coaching and assignments for him in the bubble. So I think that he's probably lost a little value, maybe a significant amount of value, but yeah, he's definitely still can fetch you a second round pick. Uh, I I don't think he actually has lost value because I think that teams are going to look at an expiring contract for seven million for a guy who shot forty one point nine percent from three this year. I mean, stretch fours are critical to so many NBA offenses. You know, not so much Luke Walton's, but normal NBA offenses. It's such a critical position. It's such a premium is placed on that. And for a guy who, yeah, I mean, teams are going to know exactly what he is, but a lot of teams will do more to hide defensive liabilities or just use them opportunistically. And I think there's going to be tremendous value there. And, yeah, I think it'd be terrible asset management if the Kings don't pick up that option. Yeah, and then the other news that came out, I believe it was earlier today, was that the Sacramento Kings won the coin flip uh, in the lottery odds between them and the New Orleans Pelicans. The Kings Twitter put out a phenomenal tweet, by the way, saying uh, 
that it was the third time this month that the Kings beat the Pelicans. But yeah, the twelfth <laughs> best odds. It was it was hilarious. That was um, but yes, they now sit with the twelfth best odds in the twenty twenty NBA draft with a six point two percent of being top four, one point three percent of first overall here. Um yeah, I mean, have you uh, taken a peek a little bit at the 2020 draft here, Greg? Do you have guys that you really are intrigued by? Uh, I mean, all I know is that the Kings are definitely going to move up in one of the weakest drafts in, in modern history. I feel very confident in that because that, that's the most King things ever is that we use up our, our luck moving up in a draft where there's no clear top players. Cause it's one of those things where – we know there's going to be a star or two that comes out of this league, out of this draft, because there's one or two out of every draft. But it's one of those years where no one knows who it's going to be, and it's even more of a crapshoot than usual. Now, someone's going to draft the right guy, and it'll be a combination of luck and scouting and all that. And you know, who knows if we'll have a new GM by then? Probably not. Probably be uh, still, you know, dealing. But Joe Dumar is making the pick, if I had to guess. So I'm not terribly confident about this draft. I just hope the Kings can get someone who can contribute. I I want someone who could be like a a, a role player who – or not even a role player necessarily, but just a a rotation player. Like if the Kings can get a rotation player out of a a very hit-or-miss draft, I, I, that's all I'm looking for. Screaming Sadiq Bay. <laughs> I don't even know enough about these draft guys to know if that's uh, a joke or if you're serious, because I, I haven't bothered doing much draft research yet. He, he's uh, deadly serious, because like, well, <laughs> I'll just say, I mean, like, the, so you like without knowing the prospects in in particular, we can we can have this conversation because it's like the concept of a guy that we just know will not be a star, but he also is like almost guaranteed to be what you're kind of describing with the role player. I mean, but let me just to, to reference what you were saying earlier about going long-term. I mean, if this team isn't like a role player away or a couple role players away from making the eight seed or, or being, or, or rather more specifically being competitive, it, wouldn't it be more advantageous in the long term to really go for upside? So I think it goes back to that philosophy of what are your goals for the next year and beyond. Now, let's say the Kings are, are intending to bottom out next season. To me, that says this season I want to go for, you know, and again, some of it depends on where you're drafting, what your scouting says. I mean, there's all these different factors that go into it. And I have proven many times over the years that I'm no draft expert. I am quite bad at the draft in many circumstances. But, you know, you, you take who you think is the best player. I'm not saying I want them to draft just based on who has the highest floor. I always think that you should draft on who you think will be the best player. Now, part of that's the risk-reward assessment of high upside guys versus high risk guys, and you know you kind of factor in, you know, when is it a worthwhile risk, when is it not? 
So it's not to say that I just want them to play it safe, but my hope is that whoever they take, even if it's a high upside guy who doesn't reach the the full extent of his upside, my bar for success in this year's draft in particular is I want them to have someone who can contribute for many years down the road. When you look at how often the Kings have been in the lottery and how many rotation players they have gotten out of that, it's abysmal. And we have, like, nothing to show for the past decade of lottery picks, except for, like, De'Aaron Fox and hopefully Marvin Bagley does something. There's nothing else. The cupboard is bare. Like, you just need talented young players to be in your rotation who can develop on the same timeline as De'Aaron Fox. Yeah, good point. Uh, You you have uh, something on that, Rich? No, I mean, I don't want to retread this the conversation, but I I think there is I, I I just I think that they can fall into that trap. Like the Sadiq Bays of the world, like you've you've written about before, Brendan is like if you just want a W out of this and you just want a dude that's like, okay, hey, we got a ro- a real NBA rotation player. Like we actually got one out of this draft, you can take a guy like Bay, but I do think that's a little bit falling into the trap of the Kings that are like we just gotta get. We just gotta get a little better. Where I, I think at this, like, there's a total, there's a chance that there'll be a guy there like a Pat Williams, who is a lot more boom bust. Where, you know what, we could completely crap out right here again, or we could get, you know, the, you know, the, the a top three player on the team. Whereas maybe you're looking at more of like a, a bench guy um, with with a bay, but. Yeah, um, I mean, it's it's just tough. It's tough to unpack that, you know, draft you think is going to be the best player. It's, it, I think there is a lot of variance on, like, it, 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 the variance of that. Like, if if I'm just looking at their average output, like their average outcome, is that where we're going on? Or is it like, are we going on, are we trying to be a little safe? Or are we trying to be, a, like, go for a little upside? It, it does get risky. But the one other thing I'll add on the draft, with Buddy Heald, his situation, which isn't, you know, crystal clear, though I will say I think there's a lot of signals and a lot of talk that he might be unhappy here. Uh, I think Sam Amick has said on the Carmichael Dave show he thinks he's out. I think Carmichael Dave has said he thinks he's out, like he's headed out. I think a lot of people are speculating, but it could be out. And I will just say on the draft, this is a super guard-heavy draft, so – you know, one thing that we've talked about, Brennan, going into into this draft is like, oh shit, like we there are so many guards in this draft, and we might have, you know, like th- arguably three of the best players in this team are guards. Is that a problem? I don't know if that's a problem anymore. Um, if it ever was, just just take take the player that <laughs> whatever you decide you want in a player, just take that player regardless of position. And if you got to move, buddy, I think you just move, buddy. Yeah, I think when you're talking about your draft philosophy, I think Fox is kind of the only guy you take into account. Like, I, I'm sure that, you know, Sacramento fans are past uh, uh, selecting someone based on fit. Like, I mean, yeah, in a mock we did, you know, you took Cole Anthony just for the sake of taking a best player available. And I think that at this point, like, Fox is the only guy you really account for. I, I think that if he can't play with Fox around the 12 mark, then I'm really considering passing unless it's like a clear tier drop off, which was kind of your logic with Cole Anthony. Um, 
but yeah, I, I don't think that at this point, and, and this is because I'm under the train of thought that they should lose out next year. I don't think they're going to try to, but I think they kind of will anyways. Um, and they need to get a younger team. So yeah, I mean, I think that you go for the best player available as long as it's not like 100% clear. There's no way this guy works with Fox. And I, I it's probably going to be kind of rare for that. I mean, like you look at OKC rolls out three different guards. Um, like there's a lot of variety and creativity you can work with here. Like a, a Tyrese Maxey is interesting, you know, and could be available around that point without getting all too deep into throwing a bunch of names out there. I, I think that I've leaned more towards um, going after upside now when before I was a high floor Sadiq Bay type of guy for sure. Um, so I've tra- changed my draft philosophy for this one a little bit moving forward here to a high floor uh, or I'm sorry, high ceiling best player available type of thing. You heard it here first, folks. Brendan does not want a player who will take the ball out of Deer and Fox's hands. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know what else we want to uh, get into here. Uh, do you feel like there's any other news or topics you want to get out here, Greg? Um, I mean seems like things are changing a mile a minute right now, so I'm sure there's something that we've overlooked, but I think we've hit all the big things. Yeah, uh, seems like it to me here as well, and I just want to shout out uh, the work that you've done with the site at the King's Herald and all the other guys that you've done that with as well, and yeah, everybody definitely check out that site. I'm sure all the listeners are very familiar with it, but go support the Patreon there to uh, support local Kings coverage, local independent Kings coverage. And thanks to everybody for listening to this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast. You'll hear from us again in the next couple of days. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball and Basketball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champion, we'll go with six-time NBA champion, Robert Ory. See what they had to say and what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts.